Hello, and welcome back to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro, a podcast all about the Bible, theology, and all things related to the Christian faith. I'm the Ryan half of Ryan and Brian, and this is episode number 42, and our first episode of season two and the year 2022. So glad you were with us. Uh, Brian and I are revisiting the topic we talked about in our very first full episode, the Bible and what kind of book it is. Brian and I have had some great conversations over the past year with some of our listeners, and a book that was brought up in one of those conversations is titled How the Bible Actually Works, and it is written by the author Peter Enns. And with a provocative title like that, I mean, how could we not take a look at it? Well, Brian and I both read the book, and we discussed the premise of the book, its strengths, and unfortunately, its many weaknesses, and what that means for how we should look at the Bible and what it means for us today. So, great conversation. Before we get started, just a quick reminder that you can find us at thebiblebistro.com, on Instagram and Facebook at The Bible Bistro, and on YouTube at Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. We'd love for you to subscribe at any of those places and just tell your friends. We'd love to grow our audience. All right, let's jump right in, taking a look at the Bible and its relevancy for today. Hello, hey, Brian. Brian. It's good. I'm How are you? Well. How you been? I've been good. It's been a couple it days been. since we've uh, been back Happy in the New bistro. Year to you. Yes, it feels um, like like the last year, <laughs> like 2021. Now it's 2022. So do you yes. have that problem of writing on your checks? You probably don't write checks. You're you're in that generation that you don't even have checks. Probably do you? Uh, well, we do have okay. checks, but we very rarely right. write them. But so no, I don't have that problem. I was uh, in a Sunday school class. We were teaching uh, first and second graders this oh, last nice. Sunday, and okay. someone had just had their birthday, <laughs> and it was a new year. And I'm like, "How do you feel?" And she just looks at me, I'm like, "Do you feel different?" And she's like, "She turned seven. And she's like, "Nope, I feel like six. <laughs> <laughs> so and I'm like, "Yeah, that's kind of how it goes, kid." Yeah. You know? But we didn't. You said yeah. it's been a day or two. We took took a little bit of a break from the podcast. We thought it was good over Christmas because people are busy with all kinds of things, so including ourselves. Right. And it was nice. We do. Yeah. We, yeah, we do love doing oh, we this, do. but absolutely. it was nice. absolutely. And it was nice to have a And I'll say, you know what was really gratifying to me, Ryan, was the number of people who talked about missing the podcast. And even yesterday I had somebody message saying, Hey, are, are we getting a new episode tomorrow? And I was like, No, we're we're recording tomorrow, but then it'll be next next Tuesday. And so it was really neat to hear from people who who have made this a part of their daily habit and or weekly habit, I guess I should say. And uh and are really excited about it. And we've heard some good comments on our Advent series and our Christmas series. So that's that's all been really nice. It's always encouraging uh, when we when we hear from you guys and and uh, when we hear people talking about how they've enjoyed what we're what we're doing. So, yeah, I, as I mentioned, I think uh, last time we were together, I've had a couple people at church like, "Hey, when are you coming right. back? Like, when's this happening?" <laughs> and I'm like. Easy, easy, easy. We're we're coming back, but you know, yeah. like it was good. It was a good break. It was busy, yeah. of course. Was your Christmas? Was did you have a good Christmas? We, and both of us had had some sickness and with our families over the over the break as well. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was busy. I had a birthday. I always have a birthday right early in the year too. So so oh I oh my I gosh, still feel like six too. But uh, oh, are you? Th are, what are you? Thirty nine now, Brian? <laughs> oh, ouch. Um, so, I said thirty nine. 
What's what's that an know, ouch just, about? Just I'm much older than that. I'm much older than thirty nine. What are you, eighty nine, Brian? Does that make you I feel better? Is that said, less of an what ouch? What everybody said to me is, oh, it's double nickels, and I'm like, <laughs> great. At least I can. At I'm, least I can remember. Last year I could not remember my age for the life of me, but now fifty five, I will be able to remember fifty five. So. Well, I tell you what, I worked at a church once, and there was the double nickel Bible school really? or Bible class. Nice. So and, and you know, they were you've all got that sixty five to eighty five in the class, right? <laughs> that is. I'll, I'll tell you this. So, so my home church had kind of an interesting name. It's the the my home church's name was Zoa Zoa Christian Church. It's there's lots of debate about exactly where it came from. Probably the Greek word for life, Zoe, is where they think it came from. But anyway, so so this, there was a <laughs> side there note. was a Sunday school class there that was called the ZYP class, which stood for the Zoa Young People's Class, and it was literally the oldest class of the entire thing. It you know they'd started together when they were young yeah. people you know they weren't the older group but then they never changed their names so I always thought that was kind of funny <laughs> ZYP class the Zoa young people they were in their eighties you know? uh, <laughs> I guess oh my it's, God. it's young at heart right uh, that, yeah we should do an, we should always. do an episode on naming Sunday school classes <laughs> that could get real interesting real fast all right anyway. All right, we're back to it. So yes, we're back to the bistro. Yeah. We're glad. We're glad to yeah. be back. And we're talking about something today. I usually say, "What are we going to talk about?" But I kind of threw this one out well, at you because we're going to talk yeah, about this it. Was your kind of your uh, choice, really, in some ways. <laughs> so, I'm going to blame it on you. <laughs> if this is terrible, it's my fault. Uh, so today we're going to talk about what we talked about the very first yeah. episode that we released back in April, April twenty twenty one. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, yeah, April twenty twenty one. We talked about the Bible, like the beginning, right. like the most basic thing. And um, you know, when we released that episode, I had some people that I kind of knew on the fringes, and they started listening right. to us, and they're like, "Oh man, it just some of that blew their mind. Like, how do I read right. the Bible? Like, and the different genres and so forth." Um, and it also, I know, I. And you've experienced this as well. We've had some folks reach yeah. out to us from our past that have like popping up new conversations yeah. with well, us. We, we and, solicit uh, every once in a while. What do you, what would you guys like to hear about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so uh, when I was doing some student ministry work, there was a high school student there, and I kind of saw him grow up. And he reached out to me and wanted to start having some conversations. And he was reading a book that had been presented right. to him, and it was called, um, from an author called Peter right. Enns, and it was called How the Bible Actually right. Works. And he's like, oh, you know, it was kind of uh, blowing his mind sure. a little bit. And I'm like, well, I'm kind of interested, because with a title like How the Bible Actually Works <laughs> um, is a little yeah. bit provocative. As I said to you, Peter Enns mansplains the Bible. <laughs> How the Bible... Actually, works. actually works. On the that sounds like my well, eight-year-old at home go right ahead now. Read the subtitle to it too. So it's how the Bible actually oh. works, in which I explain how an ancient, ambiguous, and diverse book leads us to wisdom rather than answers, and why that's great. Yeah. News. So ancient, ancient, ambiguous, and diverse is the uh, kind of his three subtitles, and he he uses those uh, weaves it through the book. I don't know if you remember this, Ryan, but we had another person early on. Uh, when we were doing this podcast, when we one of the times we asked about what, what do you want to hear about that not mentioned a different book by Peter Inns, and uh, that mm -hmm. you know again same kind of thing that they they kind of wanted to hear, have some answers. What do you think about it? Uh, we should mention Inns has a podcast of his own 
um, that mm-hmm. uh, that he does, and so he he's doing a similar kind of thing to what we're doing, but from a completely different uh, kind of standpoint and and from a different perspective, I would say. So it was good mm-hmm. for us to read this. We both of us read this book. We took some notes on it and have some uh, things to say about it. I think so. Yeah, we do have several <laughs> things to say. <laughs> As we were kind of prepping this conversation. Right. But I think the thing, the whole point for us from this episode is to kind of talk about, again, like reinforce what the Bible yeah. is and what it isn't and how we should engage sure. it. And maybe like, what's the wrong way to engage it and like why we should have confidence right. and, and some things. It certainly makes a couple of really good points, I think. So <clears throat> let me go ahead and start. So I mentioned that ancient, ambiguous, and diverse. When he talks about the Bible being an ancient book, I, I think he makes a lot of very good points. And it's the same I kind agree. of things that we're constantly saying here, I think, where we have to appreciate the culture. I think one of the things I'm always talking about, the the linguistic, the historical, the cultural context of understanding Scripture is what is necessary. In other words, this isn't just an ageless book, a timeless book, but God revealed himself to us, we believe, in the Bible in these specific historical points. And therefore, it requires us to kind of do some searching and some examination and some a little bit of research sometimes in order to to understand the message of scripture I think and then he talks about that that it's not it's not you know sometimes we act as though these verses are written directly to well the ZYP class right or to, to someone in <laughs> in 21st century North America when we recognize that there are some cultural and historical barriers that we need to kind of think about and so I, I think he makes some really good points with that um I, I, yes, and I agree. Like, I, I thought, um, you know, I think that's one of, the, again, like you said, we always are hitting on this. Like, we have to understand the culture that these words were spoken into. Right. Like, we need to understand and, and dig into those. And I think one of the other things that he that he talks about this, and I think this is, maybe I'm jumping the gun here, like the ambiguousness yeah. of it, is he doesn't see it as it's not a rule book, right. which I sure. I agree with. Like, like, he would say that he's calling it ambiguous because it's not like a very strict... Right like outline of act this way he he's he's and he, his problem is is most he would see that christians read the bible as a rule book mm-hmm. and as we've discussed we see it as god revealing sure. his nature to us right. and that it's not uh i may be i'm speaking no, i think Turner. you're fine you i are, think that's good and and uh the you know the ambiguous nature ambiguous just means it has potentially multiple meanings and and i would even go so far as to say that he often will will try to draw out some contra- contradictions he he begins Mm, uh, yes. Let's talk just a little bit about how he how he approaches this whole argument. I'd say he begins really with two verses at the end of the book of Proverbs, which is is interesting. And, and these two yes. verses, I don't know. Do you have those there in front of you? Did you happen to think about getting those? I yes. Uh, well, uh, I've got them. Um, I've paraphrased. Okay, them. it's it's Proverbs. <laughs> oh wait, oh yes, Proverbs twenty six yeah. four and five is what what he he uses, and he he points out, and and there are other. I, I read some commentaries on this. Uh, um, there are there are others who point this out as well. That um, in in uh, here, I'm going to pull okay, it up. You got for it. Us. Uh, in, yeah, in Proverbs twenty six four and five, there are these two verses that are side by side that, on first glance, seem to be almost directly. Uh, Contradictory. contradictory. Right. Well, go ahead and read those. Are you have yeah. them up there now? Yeah. So Proverbs 26, 4 through 5. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. That's verse 4. Then verse 5 says, answer a fool according to his folly, 
or you will, you or will he will be wise in his own right. eyes. And so he says, basically, he uses that as kind of an example of how wisdom works, and then uh, wisdom is kind of the subtitle of this of this whole idea that that really what we're seeking is not uh, a guide for life, a step by step kind of guide. And, and both of us say, well, we we don't believe the Bible is exactly that in the way that some people think about it. Um, but but then he says. Basically, the whole point of this is you have to decide for yourself when is it right to answer a fool and when is it not. Um, some of the commentaries I, I read, I, I, I like a little bit better the way they put it, is, is, is basically they're saying these two things are kind of laid side by side to talk about the difficulty in responding to a fool. <laughs> and I actually thought, not calling Peter in's a fool, but I actually thought his book is a good example of this. In that, if you accept his argument, it's very difficult to engage it from a from a different perspective. You, you get what I'm saying? He's basically laying it out, and, and I'll say that he kind of does this. I, I always call this a tour de force argument. So he begins with that that really interesting uh, insight, and then he goes to the law. He he basically goes throughout the his, history, the historical books. He makes some, and here's the thing I'll say is he he makes some of these points. Like like I said regarding how. We think about the book as as the the Bible is an ancient book that we need to do some research in. Some of these things are not controversial things. These are just the way that we approach uh, Bible study. But what he he makes them sound provocative, right? Yes. He makes it sound very like like oh, did you know First and Second Chronicles was written much later than First and Second Samuel, First and Kings? Like. Yeah, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> anybody who's, who's looked at the Hebrew canon or you know has, has done canonical studies or anything like that are going to know that First and Second Chronicles is looking back at the same period of time as First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, but from an, a, a post-exilic perspective. That that's no big thing. That's no new thing, and uh, and and so uh, one of one of the things, and this kind of drives me a little bit crazy because I'm not a, I'm not a good author, and I will say that. He is he is provo- You bet your book's coming out soon, no, right? No, I'm not a I'm not a good <laughs> writer. Uh, I wish I, I wish I was better. But uh, but uh, what Inns is able to do is he's he's provocative, and he, he he does he presents things in an interesting way. And I can see how for someone who had not thought about, like you said, thought about some of these things. How do we look at the scriptures? What is the scripture? Um, that that they would kind of draw you in, but here's the here's the thing. He keeps going with this all the way through the Old Testament. He goes into the New Testament, then into Paul. He talks about the Gospels. Oh, look, there are four Gospels, and they give us these different perspectives on the life of Jesus, right? And and intentionally, again, these are these are you know, mm-hmm. there's an, a diversity here. And then he goes on into Paul and talks about and talks about some of that. And, and so that's kind of how he lays out the whole argument. He kind of goes through the whole scripture. And, and a tour de force kind of thing. So I think he makes some good insights early on, but the problem I have with the book is he, 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 he essentially then takes it uh, too far. And, and that's, I'll say this, when you're reading a book like this, you have to be very careful. I'm going to, I'm going to make just a couple of points here real quick. I know I'm kind of just now I'm doing a tour de force. Thing. You're just riffing, bro. <laughs> just, just, yeah. but I always call this a, I I'll call this a tour de force argument where, where basically you just keep piling this stuff on and 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 you know, interestingly, in regard to the Bible, he says, "Well, we need to really kind of consider. You know, we don't take it as face value, but we consider the, these differences, these inconsistencies." And yet, the argument he's making is kind of just a, a unilateral move, basically saying this is the way 
to look at the Bible. To read and that's, and, that's why he yeah. titled his book, How the Bible Actually Works. You know, <laughs> Basically, the way you've always looked at it and the way you've always studied it is wrong. I'm going to tell you how it actually should be understood. So that's one thing. Here's the other thing, that, and this is, this is a little bit uh, uh, I, I mean, I'm a footnote reader. I don't know if you read the footnotes in this one or not. So, on some of them, yeah. And, and there's not very many, first of all. But the no. second thing is this. So he, he, again, the argument goes from Genesis all the way through Paul. He doesn't really look at the latter part of the old te- or the New Testament. I hadn't thought about that till just now. But he goes all the way through Paul from Genesis. That's a lot of scholarship. That that's a lot for one person to know. And typically what you're going to see are footnotes that that show that he's aware of people thinking differently about these. There are really only two different places. His footnotes are usually kind of sarcastic, actually. <laughs> He'll make funny comments about his family or something. Mm-hmm. There's really only two footnotes that he makes reference to what I would say later scholarship. One of them, he cites the Wikipedia page on the book of Deuteronomy. I don't know if you saw that or not, but I didn't see. But that. <laughs> he basically says, "Oh, if you if you want to see how people understand Deuteronomy, look at the Wikipedia page." And he cites the Wikipedia page. The other one is when he starts talking in the later, later chapters, and it's it's interesting. I, I meant to look this up before we got on the air. Now I just remembered I was going to do this. He has one section where he talks about slaves, homosexuals, and women, and and, and the way that the New Testament talks about that, and then how do we. How do we approach that? There is an author that wrote a book that had that title that he used as his as his subset. He doesn't ever mention it, but then he in that section mentions three different books that that do talk about uh, particularly the issue of, of homosexuality is what what those three books talk about. None of the rest of, of his of his material does he does he footnote now. It's a popular level book, and I, and I understand this. At one point, he actually makes this statement, oh, I, I'm going to tell you I'm aware of this because there's PhD students out there probably who are going to criticize me if I don't tell you this. And then he says something like, again, kind of out of, out of his side of his mouth, says something to the effect of, uh, um, uh, oh, you know, you, to say anything, you have to say everything, something like that, which which I understand that frustration. You know, there are times, but that's that's how – that's how this everything how works. works. You know, you have to you have to show your homework, and so I'm going to tell you this. And 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 somebody had made a good suggestion uh, to us uh, to talk about how do you evaluate a book. And so one of the things I would say, there's another author I'm going to mention in just a minute that does the same kind of thing with this. When you have somebody who's, especially someone who's making these arguments about looking at things much differently than the traditional way of looking at things. You need to check their footnotes to make sure that they're going to the source and they're they're this isn't just something that they're kind of doing off the top of their head, but they're they're you know showing that they've done the the hard work uh, in, in looking at this. I, I, I'm going to set up for your example that you gave here in just a minute with this, but uh, the other author who was very popular several years ago is Rob Bell, and it's mm-hmm. the same kind of thing. If you look at his footnotes, very seldom does he engage in in um, the people who are doing the the really detailed work of this. And I'll tell you the place that it was most noticeable for me is when he talked about the Gospel of John. I'm going to use one example here a little bit later. But, I mean, I was just like, the whole time I'm just like, oh. <laughs> you know, as, as I'm reading the stuff on the Gospel of John, I'm like, ah. And some of the things he says, 
are true. I absolutely agree with it. But then he goes on and makes another point about it that that is completely different than than how I would see those points. One example, and, and we've talked about this, is in chapter two of John, he says, well, John, look, he he tells the story of Jesus. Uh, he calls it the cleansing of the temple, which you, you know I don't do, but uh, you don't. <laughs> you scolded me several times. Yeah, he, uh, he, uh, he talks about the temple incident there, but he says, well, John puts it in chapter two, you know, so clearly he's doing something different with this. Well, yeah, I would absolutely agree, but he's, he's not, he makes it sound as though John is doing this in kind of a, uh, how say this, in a way that's intentionally contradictory to the other authors, but I think he's writing for people who already knew the outlines of Jesus' life, and that would have brought that to their attention. You see, so so you can take that. There's just an example. You can take that same piece of evidence, and, and you can look at it in a different way. And and he's he's trying to get across a very specific point, very specific agenda. Uh, and we'll we'll talk more about what his what his primary point is in a minute. But talk about the example that you had of of where he did that same kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. So um, one of the things you know we've talked about the Blue Letter Bible, right. which you introduced me yeah. to on the podcast uh, a while back. And so I started reading this and book, just, and just for people who, uh, aren't, who aren't up on it, it's an online resource, very easy to use, mm-hmm. very uh, intuitive. We actually have a little uh, study guide about how to how to use it if you want to check that out. A video that we made. But go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I was—I've been reading reading the book, and I mean, I knew I had read some Peter Inns in the past, right. and I knew I probably didn't agree with him. And there were some things that were passed off, even on very end of the book. I'm like, mm, I don't. He was passing things off as like everybody right. agrees with this, and it's and it's just done. Like when the book of Daniel was written, he, you know, it's like, uh, and I'm like, okay. So you know, my antennas are up as I'm I'm reading all this stuff, and so he makes a point, um, and and I think one of the main points he's trying to make up through the book is that 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 we're supposed to reinterpret scripture for our times right. like in that it's it's this evolving and that that we're supposed to think of God differently in different times and it's this expansive thing and so one of the points that he brought up was in Exodus in Exodus uh it talks about how the Passover lamb is to right. be cooked and in the, in the main point is in Exodus we've all read this it said it should not be boiled you be know it should be it should be a roasted and so he then later says in Deuteronomy, it says, you know, when the, the people are, you know, getting ready to go into the promised land, they're celebrating the Passover again, it's just, and it says cook. And it says, you know, cook the Passover lamb. And uh, this big astonishment to him was that the word cook in Deuteronomy is the same word for boil. Right. And he's saying, well, so what the, what he, how he interpreted this was is in Exodus, they were not to boil. But Deuteronomy, they could boil. Right. And he saw this as like this progressive um, evolution of their Re- theology. Reinterpretation and, and is a big word. Reinterpretation, uses, yeah. Uh, yeah, reinterpretation of um, God's, what God wanted from right. them. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to the Blue Letter Bible. So I went <laughs> to the Blue Letter Bible. And I was like, I, I got to see this. Right. Like, I want to see the word. I want to see how it goes there. And sure enough, it's the same word, um, but there's also another place where this word right. is used, and that is in Second Samuel thirteen eight, and it talks about unleavened bread, mm. about cooking unleavened bread. And I'm like, well, you don't boil bread. You don't, you don't <laughs> boil bread. I guess unless um, that would be. Oh, I don't know what that is. Um, so and I was just like, well, that. Why didn't he bring that point up? And basically, it came down to this is just simply a word 
to cook. Like right. it has different meanings based upon the context. Right. And if, you know, so in Exodus, when they're told not to boil, and then if someone comes to you the next year and says, cook the Passover, you know, don't boil it. Right. Like, but be because they didn't. So, so you're saying to be that, that word that he's saying means boil or heck can be used for boil is actually a more general word for cooking. It's a, yes. So it's, it's a more, and it was a more general word for cooking, but he doesn't engage so that let, because, and I was like, it, it doesn't advance his argument. Let me just a little bit of uh, language nerd stuff here. Just, just, just for good measure. I'll, I, I will <laughs> allow it. But th- we call that the semantic range. That's the possible range of meanings that a word can have. And some words have a very broad semantic range. So, for example, you know, I don't know that this is exactly right, but in, in English we might use the word cook in a general sense. That's a that's a word with a broad semantic range. Boil and roast and some of these other words that we might use are are narrower in, in their in their range. They're they're getting across a narrower idea. So so that's what you're basically saying. And and he's making this huge deal about well one says roast, the other says boil, and you're saying no, it's 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 probably a broader word than that. Yeah. Well, it's it's not probably. Well, it is. It yeah. is. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it, I mean that's that was and that was my beef because he makes some pretty, uh, uh, and I think this is you know you and I talked about this a little bit before. I wrote some notes and and the side side notes of the the book that were uh, <laughs> I, I, it, it got me a little right. it got me a little hot under the, a little hot under the collar, and it was just um, because he goes on to later making some comments about inspiration, yes. which you and I have talked yeah. about inspiration of scripture, and basically and says like. Yeah. And revelation. If someone can't give you an, ex- I mean, and this is, I think, a lot of Peter's problem is like God didn't give us notes how Peter would have given us right. notes. Like it wasn't this exhaustive thing. And he says, if someone can't in- answer you exactly how inspiration worked, it's propaganda. Right. Like if they're trying to tell you it's inspired, but they can't explain everything perfectly or what he thought was to his liking, it's propaganda. And then I'm at the same time I'm reading like, well, but you're not also. You, right. You're not giving the full argument either here, my right. friend. To you're, you know, you're, in your in your own writings, and, and I'll go ahead. Let me go ahead and kind of say what his his conclusion is. You, you've uh, hit a, hit around at it, and but he uses this uh, phrase a lot: sacred responsibility. And he says it is our sacred response not not just that it's something we can do to reinterpret what God has said, but he would say it's our responsibility to that if we are kind of try, how do I say it's trying to slavishly follow the letter of the law of scripture. Uh, and, and one of the points he makes, for example, Paul, you know, his, his understanding of old Testament law, you know, obviously there's a change there as Christians, we, we can see this, but he, he would say that we're actually not being true to scripture if we're, if we're trying to do that, but instead it's our, he would say our sacred responsibility to reinterpret this. Um, I'm going to go back and, and we talked about this. We, we try to stay positive on this podcast and we knew this was going to be kind of a challenge, I will say this: what mm. what in said about wisdom and thinking and, and being wise people, mm. I absolutely agree with. In, in fact, I thought a couple of times as he was as he was writing, if he had written this book about the nature of wisdom, mm. I, I think it would have been a, a much better book. I think, in fact, I would think it, think it would be a fantastic book. The problem is that's not what he was writing. He was writing a book about what the Bible is and how it should be understood. And make this hermeneutics. Book. He was writing a hermeneutic book. Hermeneutics and and like you said about inspiration and, and revelation. And and he comes to some conclusions. And I would say he has some starting points that are completely different than 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 we are. And this may be where it'd be good for us to go back and just remind people um 
you know, we're coming from a perspective where we believe that the Bible is God's word that he has revealed to us. Uh, we believe that the Holy Spirit of God acted, uh, and, and we've, we've shown this in, in um, uh, 2 Peter, for example, and there are other places that, that, that talk about inspiration. We believe the Holy Spirit of God acted upon the authors of Scripture so that what they are writing is actually the Word of God. Okay, and so you know his his point is where oh where you have these contradictions. Some people try to explain it away in this kind of thing, but I think we're coming from a different starting point when we believe that that the Holy Spirit is the one who is who is inspiring Scripture. Um, his approach to Scripture is to say that this is the writings of human beings who are attempting to understand God, and he uses that that phrase a few different times, that, that they are writing about their experience with God and, um, you know, what they're trying to explain it in their own language, what their experience of God is. And I would say that's kind of two completely opposite ways of looking, looking at Scripture. Um, I'll, I'll go ahead and back and, and say one more thing. Um, I said to you before we started this, this, this episode that, um, he really was not writing this book for us. Although there's a couple of times where he, he makes a nod to people who he understands are probably going to be angry about some of the things that he says, but but he says specifically, and, and and I understand this and we've talked a little bit about, about this phenomenon that's going on in the church right now. He really is writing for people who have been disenfranchised and, and are disaffected with, with Christianity. Um, he uses this term deconstruction that, that we've talked about before, people who are kind of mm-hmm. walking away from the faith. And he says they're really writing, he's writing for them. Uh, and, and and so, you know, I can understand perhaps the value if someone has had an approach to Scripture that has caused them to, to struggle with the faith in this, he's trying to basically re- redeem that. And, and in fact, he would say for himself that it's been a much more liberating, a much uh, a much... I would say he 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 doesn't say it's easier. In fact, he says it's it's harder in some ways to to do this. Which I we we may talk about whether or not we believe that's true. Um, mm-hmm. But um, you know that that's who he's writing for. Now, I guess in some ways I would want to speak to the same kind of people. That may not be our primary audience, but I do believe that there is a way to believe that Scripture is the Word of God. And and as we said, we don't we believe that it is um, a, a story. We we don't believe it's mm-hmm. necessarily uh, you know these these universal rules and and just this whole whole set of things that you do or you do not that kind of thing. Uh, but it's a story about how God is revealing Himself to humanity. And we've talked about the progressive nature uh, of Scripture that we believe Revelation is is progressive as it goes throughout. Throughout Scripture, for example, yeah, there there are prophecies about Jesus, but we understand them more fully when we see, uh, you know, the the appearance of Jesus. And uh, even in the New Testament, we we have as as uh, you know, for example, even in the Gospel of John, uh, it just comes to my mind that that uh, it, you know there are times that John says, after Jesus was raised from the dead, we understood these things. So even within the disciples, the followers of Jesus would say, well. We had one understanding before the resurrection, but when Jesus raised from the dead, oh, it, it clicked with us then who he was and what he was saying in, in terms of these things. And, and so um, so I think there's a way for us to be responsible with Scripture 
um, what I would call responsible with Scripture and and understanding it as God's revelation, but in a way that also um, can appeal to those who maybe have felt disinfected, disaffected, or disenfranchised by by the church or or whatever. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that or any. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, and I think even in this, I think it makes there's so much that can happen about how you read something. You know, there's so much that's that's loaded into something. You know, like if um, I heard one of my friends uh, recently, he was he has his own podcast and it's basically a phone call with someone else and it was just like it was it was about christianity right. and faith and so forth and it was about the bible and he's like you know it's just like it was this rule book and it was just like this right. if he didn't follow those rules he was going down this path and it was over and sure. god didn't like it you know what i mean and it's just you know i think that's one of the things is how do we how do we read this and be responsible right. with it to kind of understand you know i think understanding where this happens in the, in the whole story and you know, and there's fuller revelation in Christ, and um, you know that there is Christ reveals so much as you look yeah. back, you know. But that doesn't mean as you look back, what was in the back was wrong right. either, you know. Like it's right. there, there's clear more clarity brought yeah. to it, and so I think there's I think that's important that the point that you brought in is be, being responsible, and that you know there are those out who have read things or been taught things sure. or it, it's it's happened to them where it's. It's not been a good right. thing, absolutely, you know? and that's and, and I want to acknowledge that I'm not I'm not you know but yeah. but I don't know that this is, I don't know that his approach is the best way to to, to do this. Mm -hmm. He he um he makes a I think the biggest leap he makes. Like I said, if he'd written a book about wisdom, that would have been one thing, but he makes the leap to say that this approach to wisdom literature in in the Bible is the way that the entire Bible mm -hmm. should be read, and he says specifically at one point I can't remember exactly. Oh, it's uh, it was page seventy six. Uh, he said uh, that these laws, for example, are not to be followed. They're, they're, you know, they, and they, one of the examples he gave is what you talked about earlier, the fact that they're in his mind contradictory or there's different versions of the same law, show that they were not meant to be followed. And and I I thought to myself and kind of I wrote in the margin except where they are, you know, except where, <laughs> except where the Bible specifically <laughs> says and and where mm -hmm. Jesus says. If you are my follower, this is what you're going to do. For example, and and mm -hmm. uh, even I was thinking about Revelation, the book of Revelation, which, I, like I said, he didn't really deal with the last part of the uh, New Testament at all. But uh, in the book of Revelation, we've talked about the interesting thing is it says that that blessed is the one who keeps the words of this prophecy, and, and it, it's intentionally meant to be kept. It's there, there's something to be done with it. Uh, and and that's that's what I think we we see here. Um, he doesn't you know he doesn't engage. So Deuteronomy I, I mentioned earlier he he had the Wikipedia page. He did not deal with those people who who may think uh, differently, uh, who may have a more traditional understanding. He does, he just doesn't engage with them, and, and he doesn't say. And and again I understand you can't you you can't do every part, but if you simply read this book. You you might like it's like you said you might come a, come away with the idea well this is what everybody thinks about Deuteronomy mm -hmm. or about the Gospels, um, so are, are 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 you saying that Wikipedia is not a proper resource <laughs> for theological study? I'm saying that there I want to I want I want to hear this yes. out of your mouth. Uh, yeah. Oh, so actually, what I would say I mean there, I, I can see how Wikipedia might be a place that you could go very very quickly and and begin to understand. Um, 
some of the some of the conversation, but no, that shouldn't be the final word on it. I mean, it's a crowd. Yes, it's, a, I'm, 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 it's a crowdsourced it's cr- thing, right? So, yeah, absolutely, um, yeah, yeah. Well, and I, and I think one thing that I I think is important here is, you know, and I said this before, or we you were saying that this is like I don't want to. I'm glad I read the book. Sure. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, it, like it, it challenged me and I don't want anyone to think that as we're saying, like that you shouldn't read stuff that challenges right. you. Um, but I, and that scholarship can still continue. Right. Like, I don't want someone to think like, oh, well, you're stuck in the 1400s <laughs> when they understood it this way, you right. know, but like we've even talked about, there's been scholarship on different well, topics that helps we've, expand. We've presented some, right? We've presented some that yeah, are absolutely. not ways of looking at things. So. Yeah. But like, and there's that. I'm not afraid to say that scholarship illuminates like current scholarship, but it's scholarship where there's, you know, where there's someone that's presenting the argument. And that doesn't even mean someone could cite a hundred sources and still be wrong, but like it, you know, that there is, you know, there has to be an evaluation process and kind of going, what are the sources and how, and how do we we engage? We engage with the different ways of looking at it. And we, we may have a preference, but there's there's usually reason, you know. There should be good reason for this. Let me talk about the gospels just a little bit because that's more of my area of expertise. I'm going to make one comment in on what he says about the gospels in general, and then one on the gospel of John specifically, just to kind of again show how you have to be careful. I, I call these tour de force arguments, and and basically, I don't, I don't even know if I can describe clearly what I'm saying, but basically, it's it's you have the starting point, and then you just go boom, 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 boom. You know, you, you're kind of pushing this forward, this this kind of an idea, and and it's one of these things where uh, I see YouTube videos like this sometimes. You you get somebody going, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I see that, I see that, and then and then all of a sudden, before you know it, you're like, wait a minute, <laughs> where, where did you just how did we get yeah, where did you how just did we go get with here? That? That's a bridge too and, far, and my so that's friend. That's where I think we have to be careful in in you know when we're reading. And, and I'll, I'll say one of the things one of the things I appreciate most about my undergraduate education, and, and it was surprising to me when I, I've seen other people who are different. When we were given books, the professors almost expected us to to understand that that we were not going to agree with them, <laughs> that we that we were going to critique them, right? And and you know, I think anytime we read anything, you, you need to be reading it, especially if we believe Scripture is the is the authority. Which you know, we said we come from a uh, churches that that where where we believe that uh, that Scripture is the final authority, both in our faith and our practice. Uh, then, then ultimately we are we're judging on on that basis, and and so you know again we're looking for for scholarship we're looking for others that have said this but but we need to evaluate the things that are being said. So here's the example of the parables. <clears throat> he says that uh, you know the fact that Jesus taught in parables and people can't come to clear understandings of what parables meant show that Jesus was kind of intentionally being ambiguous in, in these kind of understandings. Mm. Except, I thought, of the times where Jesus explained the parables to his disciples. <laughs> when his, that was, even that was misty there, too. When his disciples said, yeah, what does this mean? And, and one of those is those places he cited. And it is, it's, a, it's an interesting passage in Isaiah where he says, you know, so that he, Jesus quotes this passage, says, so that hearing they will not hear and, and they, they won't understand. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you know, his disciples ask him, for example, the, the parable of the uh, seed and the sower, what does this mean? And so he explains to them, and he says, this is what it means, you know. So, you know, for... <laughs> but did it mean what he meant? So for Jesus, I think his parables did have 
unambiguous meaning that that he was he was talking to at least at least some of them will will say here's the other thing and and like i said the gospel of john stuff i could we could have a whole episode just on that and it was mm-hmm. and i'll say it was a relatively short section john he didn't spend as much time on as he did on deuteronomy or you know some of these other things mm-hmm. um but i'm just going to use this one statement to illustrate how he he it's same the kind of thing you used in this old testament example where he he makes a a statement that you could look at and say, oh, yeah, look, I, here are these two different words. Um, mm-hmm. But then there's also a different way to understand it. When he's talking about the beginning of the Gospel of John, and he, he his big thing is that John is, he, he says John's primary point is to show that Jesus is one who has authority, which I would I would kind of disagree with on, on that. Uh, uh, Jesus does have authority. I don't think that's John's primary point. Uh, he he does, <laughs> interestingly, he does what's traditional. He he. he Dates John last uh, late in the in the first century nineties uh, A.D. Where, as I've mentioned before, I would put it much closer to the destruction of the temple. It's interesting he does talk about the destruction of the temple, but he says, "Oh well, he's he's reflecting on it differently because he had all this time to reflect on it compared to the other other synoptic authors." And I thought, well, or, or it's in the immediate aftermath. Anyway, all that was stuff I didn't want to talk about, but I just mentioned. <laughs> but here we are talking about it. But in chapter one. He makes this statement that Jesus starts hanging out at the Jordan River with John the Baptist, but John specifically does not have Jesus baptized by John the Baptist, he says, because that would take away from his point of uh, having authority. All the other gospel writers, all, all the other three canonical gospels make a big point out of Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist, and yet he makes this point that uh, John doesn't. Now, here's what's interesting: is he's he's right. John does not have the narrative of the baptism of Jesus. But as I've mentioned before, when we've talked about the Gospel of John, he gives us John's testimony about the baptism. So in John chapter one thirty two, it says, "John gave this testimony: I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him." As, and I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So, so yeah, there's no narrative of the baptism of, of Jesus, but John— make, But there's testimony. John makes this big point, which, again, testimony is a major point in the in the Gospel of John, as we've talked about in another episode. But But John makes this point of saying— when I baptized Jesus and I saw the Spirit come down on him, that's how I knew who he was. And and so, yeah, there's no narrative of the baptism, but that doesn't mean the baptism is absent or that, you know, that. And so I think there's a different, you know, again, what he says is correct, <laughs> but there are different ways to understand what's happening there. Uh, John is very concerned about, about how he came to know the things that he came to know. And so, John. The Baptist gives testimony about uh, about this, and so that's that's how I would understand that. Um, anything else that you wanna you wanna talk about? No, I, I, I again, I want to say I'm glad I yeah. read the book. I'm it's not I, uh, I I'm glad I read it. Um, there are times I wasn't glad I was reading it. <laughs> it's challenging, and, uh, and it's not bad to be challenged by stuff. Yeah. It's not bad to be challenged, you know. And it was 
and 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 the book is written in such a way where it's just like oh you it's you the tour de force you accept this argument like oh yeah and then build on that and then before you you know you're five miles down the road and mile one like maybe if i thought about that for a second you know something that's my point in a book like this i think you need to think carefully about the the steps that he's taking stuff on wisdom oh that's good stuff but then he applies it to the bible as a whole um it, it, it was interesting i mentioned this to you it's he, twice he makes this he makes this point he asks this question but he doesn't do it until the very end of the book and once mm-hmm. is the very almost the last page of the book but just before that I, page 227 in the edition i was reading he he says this he says at what point do we cross the line from adapting a tradition so it can survive to compromising the tradition beyond recognition and and so he's he, you know there's i think the nod to people who are kind of reading this going now wait a minute you're saying basically we need to be creative and it's our sacred responsibility to reinterpret he says reinterpret god is 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 what he says uh, he, he had several t- a couple of times i should say several but a couple of times he talks about what kind of god is that we believe in anyway which and this is this is kind of a subtle point i'm not sure i can explain this well but his question is, what kind of God do I believe in, which puts himself at the center? Whereas I would say the question we're asking is, what does God reveal about himself? Which which then it's up to me to respond to, so to speak. So it's not me mm-hmm. trying to interpret God, I think, or reinterpret God, but it is instead me uh, uh, trying to understand what God is revealing of himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that God, the God has come to us. It's 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 less about an activity of us trying right. to find Him. It's about reading Him and seeing how He's come to us. And, and again, I think that that's his basic his basic presupposition about Scripture is it is humanity's search for God rather than God's revelation of Himself to humanity, uh, which I think, I, as I've said when we talked about revelation, I think is a necessary thing. God must reveal Himself to us. Uh, because there's nowhere for us to go to find him. Uh, what we end up with, I, I think, if we're not careful, is a God in our image. Then um, that is, you know, that, that a God we're comfortable that with that agrees with our culture. That that um, you know <laughs> likes the kind of thing that our culture likes and thinks the kind of way that our culture does. And you know, again, my concern for that is is that god or is that a reflection of ourselves um so mm-hmm. yeah and I, and I think you see through history sometimes as you know, there is a tendency of those that are keep looking you know that are looking for something that you right. can god has been reinterpreted through the decades sure. to meet a, a to make it more palpable for a certain cultural movement sometimes you know right. like it's going through right you know and so i think you know that's I think that's always the the thing is kind of going, yes, God is relevant to us. Like the message is relevant to us and how should we understand it in the world that we live in? But, and you know, it, it, the, the danger is that we can start shaping it. Instead of seeing how it shapes us, we start shaping it to, to be The something. Bible is significant to me because I believe it is God revealing himself. And kind of the question that I go away from, and I'm not trying to set up a straw man here. I do think he kind of sets up a straw man from time to time when he's talking about those who mm-hmm. see the Bible as a rule book. Um, you know, and this is the only other way to, to, to understand it. Um, but, uh, um, it makes me wonder then what, what, how is the Bible different than any other book that, um, has someone searching for truth or searching for God? How is, 
um, the particularism of Christianity then any any different than than any other religion or any other philosophy for that matter, uh, like a Stoic philosophy? What would be the advantage to Scripture over, let's say, reading a Stoic philosopher about how best to live my life? Um, and, and and again, he did he never says that, but I kept coming away f- for me. And maybe this, you know, he would probably say this is a weakness in me that I'm not, I'm not taking the sacred responsibility. But the reason the Bible is important to me is I understand it that that is how God has chosen to reveal Himself to us, mm-hmm. ultimately in His Son That's... Jesus, right? But right. but the the way we come to know Jesus is through is is through the Scriptures that have been recorded about Him. And again, I would say we can rely upon them because of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is the one who has guided the authors of Scripture so that what they are writing is the Word of God. Yes, and that's the positive note for today. You know what I mean? Like, right. that that what we have is, is we don't have to, you know, and, and I think it leads to a certain, I, I mean, I know he thinks it leads to like some sort of optimism, but to me it leads to like this pessimism of like, well, I, I don't know. Right. Who, who knows who God right. is? Who knows what is Your, your it. guess is as good as mine, right? Yeah. Exactly. And so like for me, you know, the optimism I have is that I believe that what we have is God revealed to us, that we don't have to keep like trying to reimagine and find something, you know, like we, we have God speaking to us and what we have is yeah. God's we revelation. Would, we would us. agree with him. It's an ancient book that, it, that needs interpretation, mm-hmm. but, but the difference is it's not, it's not an issue of us reinterpreting it. Uh, but it is a matter of us being equal to the task of understanding the scripture within the context that God revealed it to us, uh, whether that's ancient Israel or whether that is, um, you know, in, uh, um, you know, uh, Roman Empire, or, you know, what, whatever period of time it is and whatever culture it is. So it's not a hopeless right. task, it's a hopeful task. <laughs> right, right. And, 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 and there is an ongoing nature to it. I don't think it's like, you know, yeah, this, I agree. This ironclad thing. We're not afraid of c- current scholarship right. and like continuing to, to, to look right. at this and be open to right. understanding culture more and understanding what was happening as archaeology and everything reveals. I would reveals, like to so. hear him engage. And, and maybe I haven't listened to this. Have you listened to his podcast much? I, I have not. I have. <laughs> And I know he he does there have was, he does have scholars on right, he he does yes, I started it and there was an advertisement for a conference, and I was just like I don't need this in my life right now. <laughs> okay, it Speaking was it was which, this I was episode of the Bible Beast brought, brought to you by, by no kidding <laughs> no it was it was big. um oh <laughs> we're huge across the globe I'm like Casey Kasem of Christian theology. Um, Nobody remembers Casey Kasem. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so uh, yes. So I, I listened to part of it, and I and I and again I've read some of his other books. Um, I found a lot. Uh, I felt the same way. Um, you know that there's right. th- there's a certain. I know it's the buzzword like deconstructing. Sure. You know orthodoxy and so forth. So, but um, again, I'm confident, hopeful, glad. You know we have strong assurance and sure. and the, the authority of of scripture. So. That's your positive thought for today. So we're wrapping up here. And, you know, one thing that we wanted to talk about here is, you know, we are on season two now, which is 
you how know, many, how, season so two. Ca- 40, 41 episodes in season one or 42? I think 40, I, 41. I think okay. there's 41. The, you know, yes. We, we had some. We, we do this every week. We bring it to you every week. We took a little bit of a break. Yeah, but. we're bringing, bringing it to you. And so it's, uh, we, we love, as again, we love yeah. doing it. We're glad to be a part of it. And, you know, again, as, as Brian mentioned in the beginning, we love hearing from sure. people. Like, it's kind of like a, uh, you know, shot in the arm, like, right. um, you know, to, to keep us going. But there is also something we're going to invite you all to be right. a part of with us in the Bistro. So we are setting up a Patreon if you have... Um, if you feel so led. If you've been encouraged by this, you know, we'd invite you to, to kind of participate with this. Um, because it does it does take time and... I, spending some money, yep. you know, to, to, to get this up every week and uh, to get it going. But um, this is the slowest get rich quick scheme <laughs> that there's ever been. Um, no, just kidding. And that's not really what we're, we're wanting. Ju- we're, we're just wanting, no, wanting to, to, to be able to cover some of the expenses. And and uh, yeah. and again, it's just an encouragement to us too. Um, uh, the other thing I'll say is I was encouraged. Some people have talked about how they're sharing the podcast and we're starting to see, you know, some, mm-hmm. some preachers are mentioning it. Uh, when they're in their sermons, and uh, I had a text from a guy yesterday that said, "Oh, I'm sharing this with some some other people," and so that that's the other thing you could do is share this podcast. We'd love to increase our listenership, and yep, yeah, and we've got some uh, a couple more episodes we've got planned. Yep. We're going to invite some some guests on to talk about some different things, things that are not the Book of John and not insane rambling. So. <laughs> The book of John is, we know. is Brian. Oh, it's, my expertise <laughs> is insane rambling. So, well, so yeah. how do they find uh, the Patreon? So, I, I kind of interrupted you there. Where, where, where is that? So the Patreon, yes. So that's a great question. So we're going to have a link to it. Um, if you go to our website, thebiblebistro.com, okay. um, you can go. We'll have a link to it there. Right if you're now. watching us on YouTube, well, it's not there yet. Easy, easy, Tiger. Why are we easy. talking? Well, about? I mean, when they when the, when the podcast, when this episode goes out, Brian, you're pushing me. When the podcast goes out, that link will be there. Uh, we'll put it if you're on YouTube. You'll see the link in the uh, in the comment section or in the the description. Um, we'll put it in show notes and also on the player. There's a little button there that you can click links and uh, you can donate and be a part of that. So we're thinking about you know right now we're just, you know if you want to give us uh, a couple bucks here and there that'd be great monthly. Um, but we're also thinking about maybe some options to add a little bit more value to those that join us at a higher level. So um, we really appreciate it, Brian. Thanks so much for. Uh, you know, today was a little bit yeah. different. We're not going to have the same kind of episode all the time. No, obviously, things. you know, yeah. we're yeah, did different things, but I think this was good as we kind of go back to the very first episode talking about what is the nature yep. of Bible of the Bible and how you know that there's um, how we read it and the the presuppositions and the things yeah. we bring and to it can, can have such a big effect. To us. You want to hear and any topics that you want to discuss and uh, yeah, we we'd love to. This, like I said, this is a couple of different listeners have talked about some of the books that Peter Inns has written. And so it took us a while to get to this point, but we, we've responded to that. We're here. We're here. We're here. Here we are. All right, Brian. Well, thanks so much, buddy. Yeah. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. If you'd like to explore this topic a bit more and aren't sure where to start, well, we've helped you out with that. We've included in the show notes a couple books that we would recommend uh, for you to dive into to, to read more about this and to explore it more for yourself. So you can find those show notes at our website, thebiblebistro.com. 
Next week, Brian and I will be discussing the foreknowledge of God and what that means and also what we don't believe it means and how that affects our lives. This is a big, deep topic that has a lot of uh, tentacles that go in a lot of different directions. So we're just going to start jumping into it, but we're going to be talking about the foreknowledge of God next week. All right. Thanks again for listening and sitting with us at the table in the bistro. We'll see you next Tuesday.